Today we're taking a closer look at the Lord's Prayer. We sing it together every week, uh, but today we get to slow down and consider what it is that we're singing together, what it is that we are asking for when we pray this. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray to God as our Father. This is huge news. To address God as our Father was a major development in the history of God's people. The ancient Israelites were, of course, familiar with the fatherhood of God. We saw that in Isaiah 63 this morning. But Jesus intensified that understanding by inviting his disciples to address God directly in this way. Praying to our Father is a reminder that the church is more than just an institution. It's a special kind of institution. It's a family. We don't pray to a a remote, aloof life force. We relate to and we commune with our Father in dependence and trust and intimacy. You see, having a creator is great. But having a creator doesn't necessarily mean that he wants to talk to me. If we're just praying to a creator, then then prayer may very well be nothing more than naive optimism. It's just wishful thinking. Who's to say the creator cares about the details of my life? But we pray to our Father. Throughout Matthew chapter 6, Jesus warns against putting our good deeds on display for others. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray in secret. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others. And so Jesus affirms and and even advocates for giving to the poor and for prayer and for fasting, but in each case, the central question of this chapter is, before whom do we do these things? Who is watching us? And Jesus answers that question by repeating the word Father ten times in 18 verses. We give not before men, but before our Father. We pray, not before men, but before our Father. And we fast, not before men, but before our Father. Now, is is Jesus condemning all forms of public prayer? Of course not. Jesus himself attended services in the synagogue and the temple. Is Jesus condemning every lengthy prayer? Again, of course not. He spent entire nights, and at one point, 40 entire days in prayer. So, so it's not whether it's public or whether it's long that he's getting at. Jesus is getting at our motivations. Before whom do we do these things? We do them before our Father. Who is watching us? Our Father is watching us. Who rewards us? Our Father rewards us. He is more than our Creator. He is our Father. We are privileged to speak to Him as such. But I want to read a quote from Andrew Murray. He says, if there is one thought with regard to the church of Christ, which at times comes to me with overwhelming sorrow, 
If there is one thought in regard to my own life of which I am ashamed, if there is one thought of which I feel that the church of Christ has not accepted it and not grasped it, if there is one thought which makes me pray to God, oh, teach us by thy grace new things, it is the wonderful power that prayer is meant to have in the kingdom. We have so little availed ourselves of it. Why are we slow to avail ourselves of the power of prayer? Why do we find prayer so difficult? Why do we delight so little in speaking with our Father? Perhaps we should acknowledge that we, we must not delight very much in our Father. If we, if we truly delighted in Him, then we would not find it difficult to speak to Him. That, that's true of every relationship, really. But that answer leaves us with a bit of a catch-22 because prayer is part of how we come to delight in God. And so we do not pray because we do not delight in our Father, but we do not delight in our Father because we do not pray. We need to go deeper. Why don't we delight in our Father? I want to give two answers. Number one, we are by nature prideful. And number two, we are by nature ungrateful. The prideful person has no need for God. For the prideful person, prayer is just a waste of time. The prideful person is either too tired to pray or too busy to pray. The prideful person is foolishly self-reliant. Because, because to pray is to say, I need you, Father. But pride won't allow us to say that. Similarly, the ungrateful person is utterly blind to the torrential downpour of divine grace that is falling upon us each and every moment. In order to pray, the ungrateful person would have to stop grumbling for a minute. You see, to pray is to say, thank you, Father, but ingratitude won't allow us to say that. But even if we're humble and even if we're grateful, prayer can still be difficult right? In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. He says, we depend upon the Holy Spirit to intercede on our behalf. There's a lot going on there, but in short, Paul sometimes found prayer difficult too. And that should be encouraging. It means that you are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God simply because you struggle to pray. So, prayer is a great privilege, but prayer can be very difficult. So, what can we do to jumpstart a life of prayer? To answer that, let's turn to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We've already talked about uh, praying to God as our Father, but what do we mean when we pray that His name should be hallowed? The word hallowed means sanctified. Sanctified be thy name. May your name be revered. May your name be worshipped. Now, to, to pray this phrase places an ethical obligation upon us. The way we live ought to hallow the name of our Father. When we are baptized, we are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit. In the original Greek, we are not baptized in the name. We are baptized into the name. And so, if we bear the name of God, but then we live a life of rebellion, that's the definition of taking the Lord's name in vain. As those who bear the name of God by virtue of our baptisms, our lives should hallow that name. Our lives should lead others to revere that name. Our lives should lead others to worship that name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so this is a kingdom prayer. This is a prayer that our Father would take His throne and set things right in our world. When we pray for daily bread and forgiveness and deliverance from sin and evil, these are fundamentally kingdom petitions. We ask God to meet our basic needs so that we can participate in the coming of the kingdom, so that we can serve Him. In the beginning, there was perfect harmony between heaven and earth, and we pray for the restoration of that harmony on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking to be participants in the restoration of that harmony. We do not pray to be snatched away from earth to heaven. We pray for the glory and the beauty and the harmony of heaven to be manifested on the earth. Truly, we we take all of our cues from heaven. If heaven is a holy place, then we are to be a holy people. If the heavenly beings obey God in everything, then we are to obey God in everything. If those who sacrifice are exalted in heaven, then we are to be a sacrificing people. If there is singing in heaven, then we are to be a singing people. If there is feasting in heaven, then we are to be a feasting people. If worship in heaven follows a specific pattern, then we worship according to that same pattern. If there are instruments in heavenly worship, then we learn to play instruments and we play them in worship. If there is a rainbow around the throne of God in heaven, then we put stained glass windows in the sanctuary. Stained glass windows are a luxury, I know, but you get the point. We take our cues from heaven, and that's how the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We are needy creatures. We are not self-sufficient beings. We depend daily, daily, upon the generosity and compassionate provision of our Father. No matter how much food you have in your pantry, no matter how much money you have in your bank account, were God to withdraw His fatherly hand, you would cease to be. And so Jesus invites us to acknowledge that dependence. And by the way, this is, this is also a prayer for the hungry and needy in our midst. Give us our daily bread. It's a prayer for more than just um, me. It's a prayer for a more just and more fair economy, locally and globally. Forgive us our debts as we, have, as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
In praying this, we confess that we have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved Him with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have sinned. We have sinned. And our only hope is that God does not deal with, deal with us according to our sins. Our only hope is that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Our only hope is that Christ has indeed paid for and forgiven our debt. Notice, Jesus assumes that we will need to ask for forgiveness on a daily basis. That's a, that's a sobering thought. But at the same time, the comforting news is that forgiveness is freely available as often as we ask for it. And having received that grace for ourselves, we then steward that grace for others. We are to have a forgiving posture toward one another. We are to be quick to cancel the debt of others. Do you ask for forgiveness on a regular basis? Or are you quick to justify yourself? Do you forgive others on a regular basis? Or do you nurse your resentments? The church has a, a wonderful opportunity here because our society has forgotten the meaning of forgiveness. We know how to cancel a person, but we do not know how to forgive a person. And so for the church to be a community of God-like, Christ-like forgiveness would be a, a powerful and compelling thing indeed. I know many of you, many of you have been hurt. Many of you have been hurt deeply. But, but in your hurt, I, I want you to remember that Jesus knows what that feels like. He was betrayed, abandoned, lonely, stripped, beaten, abused, mocked, pierced, crucified. To use a popular word these days, Jesus was the victim of trauma. But, but even as he died at the hands of his abusers, what did he say? He said, Father, Father, Forgive them. And I, I know that sort of forgiveness does not come easy or cheap. I'm, I'm not suggesting that at all. But again, for the church to be a community of God-like and Christ-like forgiveness would be a powerful and compelling thing. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First and foremost, we need God to deliver us from the evil within us. We need to be saved from ourselves. But we also need God to deliver us from the evil around us. And in Christ, God has provided that deliverance once and for all. Actually, Jesus is the fulfillment of this prayer in every sense. From start to finish, Jesus is the hero of this prayer. He is the true Son of the Father. He hallowed and sanctified the name of God in every way. He is the kingdom come. He perfectly manifested the will of heaven on the earth. He is himself our daily bread. He's the bread of life. He forgives us 
and he pays our debt. He delivers us from temptation and evil. In fact, he was led into temptation and he was delivered into evil for our sake. And so we praise Christ as the embodiment of the prayer he teaches us to pray. We praise him for that. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are praying for more of Jesus. So it's, it's good to know what we're praying when we pray the Lord's Prayer, but knowing what it means doesn't necessarily help us to pray. And so the question remains, what are we, what are we to do about our general prayerlessness? What can we do to jumpstart a life of prayer? And today's answer is that we can pray the words of Scripture. Now, I'm not, I'm not so naive as to think that simply praying the words of Scripture will address our prayerlessness entirely, but I do think that praying the words of Scripture can help to jumpstart a life of prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus provides us with a framework. It's not intended to be everything that we are to say to our Father, but it isn't, it, it isn't intended to guide what we say to our Father. The Lord's Prayer is like a trellis upon which our own organic prayers can grow. And by the way, the, the Psalms function in the same way. The more we familiarize ourselves with the Lord's Prayer, the more we familiarize ourselves with the Psalms, the easier it's going to be to pray. But, but even when it's not easy, we still have the words of Scripture to fall back upon. At some point, we will all experience what it feels like for God to be distant or to feel absent. At some point, we will all experience the sort of sorrow and grief that make it difficult to think, much less to formulate words and then, and then to shape those words into prayers. And so, and so in those seasons, you need to know that you have permission from Jesus merely to pray the Lord's Prayer. You can just open your Bible to the Psalms and start reading. The Apostle Paul trusted the Holy Spirit to pray for him, and the Lord's Prayer and the Psalms are the prayers of the Holy Spirit. They are Holy Spirit-inspired prayers, and, and we have them in our smartphones 24 hours a day. Avail yourself of these divine resources. Your Father wants to hear from you. And by the way, if, if you want to practice these things with others, the prayer team meets every Sunday morning. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.